Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. All right, welcome to episode 15, Quince. 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 I was practicing earlier today my Spanish, and I was trying to remember Quince for 15 because the traditional quinceanera. Yes. Uh-huh. It's like a sweet 15, not a sweet 16. Right, <laughs> one, one down. Um, cool. Today we're going to be doing uh, a week in review. You know how John Oliver does like last week tonight. We're going to do this week, this afternoon. Yeah, it, was so. a, it was an exciting, <laughs> exciting week for us. So we figured uh, we'll make it a topic. That's right. Uh, first off, I do want to do a quick little recap <clears throat> of our statistics and also to say thank you to everybody who's been downloading, listening to our podcast. We've been getting a lot of good feedback. I've met a couple people in person who um, I did not know originally, and, and they said they listened to the podcast. They liked it. Thank you very much for listening and downloading. And we're getting people from all the way in Panama, Mexico, Greece, which was cool, definitely Australia, France, we already mentioned, Philippines, UK, Canada, the US. So super excited. Thank you guys for all the downloads. We're having a great time with this. Uh, also, if you haven't already, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as Robert De Niro would say, we're everywhere, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Keep downloading. That's right. Um, all right. So, how was the weekend? Weekend was very fun. Uh, we had a jujitsu-filled weekend, or at yes. least observation. Uh, Lee and I had the pleasure of going to a grapplers industry, uh, which was in Baruch College mm-hmm. on a Saturday, and you know we got to see some really cool uh, competition. You know, from white belt up to black. I think predominantly where we were situated, we were seeing a lot of white belt, blue belt, purple belt competitions at. A variety of weights and ages and shapes and sizes, and it was really, really inspiring to watch. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I, I, we got there. It was like four or five hours. It was a while. It was a while. We were there for probably four hours plus, and it didn't feel like that. It felt no. it felt like twenty thirty minutes. Um, but uh, I could, I could say, I'm speaking on my own, um, speaking for myself. Uh, it was a year ago that I saw Lee compete, mm. and. I understood much much more of the game. You know, I understood what I was watching where, you know, a year ago I understood a percentage of it, mm-hmm. larger percentage of it now. And, again, very inspiring because um, all these competitors put put it really all out on the mat. Um, it's true. And it, 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 it's like Eric said, it's super cool to see just, especially if it's the first time competing. I saw a couple people it was the first time. And I think – it's really a, a test of stress management, and if it's the first time for myself, a year ago it was uh, I had not competed in something athletic in that scenario for a very long si- time. I think since two thousand nine, so it would have been almost ten years. Um, but the only thing that I did athletic before last year 
in terms of a test was the SFG or the strong first cert and then some of the research. But it, it is. It's like you go there. In this case, you had to weigh in uh, at a certain time, and you want to make sure you make weight if you're trying to either cut weight or maintain the weight that you already are in. That's stressful night before, day of. And then you, you do have an idea when you're going. We went to grappling industries. They give you a time. But, of course, hmm. inevitably they're going to fall behind. It's yeah. rare that they're going to be, like, spot on or early, whatever it may be. So you, you you don't know when to warm up exactly. You don't know when you're going to go exactly. So you're constantly checking things. You're surrounded by other people that you might know. You're watching here and there. So if my advice to people who are thinking of competing, I've, th- this was advice given to me. This is not my advice, but this is advice <laughs> given to me. Try uh, a round-robin ter- round tournament. Uh, which would be grappling industries. That way you're not going to just, if you lose that first match, you're not going to just be out for the rest of the day. And the other thing too is uh, keep yourself occupied. Bring a book, uh, music, whatever it is, separate yourself from the chaos. If you're lucky enough to have someone there with you, have them monitor things, announcements, stuff like that. That way you don't have to stress about it. Um, And then also bring lots of fruits and snacks so you could just, you don't have to eat heavy, but you can at least have some calories in while you're waiting. Yeah, I saw uh, the gentleman that I mentioned that I take class with, uh, I won't mention names, but he, I hadn't seen him. He's about, he's our age, about your weight. Mm -hmm. He's four-stripe white belt. You know, he he moves, he has a wrestling background, and I saw him yesterday Mm -hmm. at Henzo's. How'd it go? He was like, oh, one and one. Oh, and cool. I, he was like, one and one, and I didn't make the third match. You know, I kind of went home. Um, I was shot. It was like it wasn't fatigue. It was like central nervous system he shut did, down. He didn't want to keep going. No, he didn't. And he oh. said that it was difficult. I think he had like a ride to Astoria, which is not a not a short ride, but not mm-hmm. a long, you know. Yeah. He said that he stopped several times. Oh, he drove. He on a bike. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't realize. I don't think he he didn't understand, and and I I, uh-huh. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't. Yeah. So anyway, he said that um he had to stop. He got like a little Gatorade. He was like it was just like I was saying. I was telling my body to move, and my body really wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. He was like it was just like a massive adrenaline dump. Dump. Yeah. Uh, he was like you know the first guy I fought was super athletic, and and then the other guy I won by points. But he was like look learning experience. And again, he had to kind of wait all day. That's another. I mean, I give these these guys so much credit because a couple mm. of people that I was watching, they were waiting since the morning. Yeah, that's what happened because my my girlfriend competed, and that's exactly what happened with her. She she needed she wanted to make weight, and she did. But to do that, uh, like healthily, she went in the morning, weighed in first thing, and went and got something to eat. But didn't go until I think it was two thirty or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, it's really interesting. I mean, for those people who haven't competed and or are have friends who have competed and are, you watch their video, for instance, don't take it lightly. What you're seeing, they're executing this stressful martial art under very stressful situations, and it's taxing if they have to go again in these round robin tournaments. They're going to go again, and if they have a really tough match and they were fighting really hard, then that second, third match is going to be, like, you know, exponentially harder. Yeah, I mean, and from, you know, from our perspective as physical therapists and and trainers and looking looking at these, the move, like you just said, the the amount of effort they're putting out on there, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing to see the bounce back. And again, you'll see some of the younger younger guys and, and ladies 
moving at 100%, sit back, have a drink of water, and like 10 minutes later, they're at it again. Or you yeah. see the guys, you know, the quote, the senior, I think, was it? Is it the senior? senior? They should have, I mean, I don't, I don't have to look. Masters, masters. <laughs> masters is over level. 30. Over 40, you're a senior, which is kind of a, a stretch. But, um, oh, my God. They make you feel really good about yeah, your age. <laughs> but I saw the, um, seniors or ma- let's say masters. Masters 230 plus. Damn. And I really didn't understand. Like there was a guy next to me. He's like, these guys are animals. How, how heavy are they? I was like, ah, 2, 210. He was like, no way. And then I looked at the screen and they did a sweep and you literally felt Boof. the whole – every <laughs> – Every bone in your body felt them. You know, you felt what happened. That's a lot of impact. I mean, that's <sighs> a lot of impact. So it was really, again, really cool to see and um, to see it at that speed. Now, again, we did see some injuries yeah. um, f- at this amateur level. Um, uh, I-, I saw a training buddy of mine. I didn't see it, but uh, he was accidentally knocked unconscious. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you know, um, not by psh, just. Bad luck, really. I mean, it wasn't. A, it could happen to anybody, but you got need in the face, need in the face, need at the head. I think it was more like a temple thing. And it, uh. again, he he didn't even know what happened. I think the the competitor felt that the, his body kind of went limp, and that's that's another thing. Seeing these competitions as as aggressive and as all out, they were as hard as they were working with one another. When the match is over, there's a, a level of camaraderie amongst teammates amongst coaches so really really positive even though that there's a high level of competition uh, a large the same level of camaraderie uh, and sportsmanship which is really something i think that you do see throughout throughout the sport of brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah obviously there's egos involved which we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go we're gonna we'll get into as that. we escalate um <laughs> uh, but I would say, as a majority, that there's just a high level of camaraderie. Yeah, no, and that's the cool thing about it uh, th- that everyone's very friendly with each other, especially afterwards. And again, if it's the first time that they've competed, it's a huge relief to finish the match and, <laughs> and, and survive. <laughs> and you're both alive, and you you can kind of see that with people who are shaking hands at the end. They're just like, "Oh, <sighs> thank God, <laughs> thank you for for beating me up for five yeah. minutes," and I appreciate it. No, but it's. It, it's a good experience. If anyone out there does jujitsu and they're even considering it, I would highly recommend it. Obviously, it's not for everybody, but think of it like this. If, if you feel you don't want to do it, or no, I'm sorry. If you feel like you do want to do it, but you feel like you don't have the, the available amount of time to train for it, you could just try it and you go to one of these tournaments and you gotta you got to put your ego to the side a little bit and be okay with not doing fantastic, but you might do better than you think. Hmm. It just does. It does change your game, though. After I did my first tournament, it made me evaluate a lot of things. And luckily, I had people who recorded the uh, the match and gave me some feedback. And I, I worked on those things for the next several months. Competed again. I did much better. Um, and now I'm looking to prepare for another competition. And I, again, I think it will change my game again. And this is all for the sp- the sport of jujitsu, obviously, but you're also improving your experience with jujitsu. Yeah, um, I um, I'll put it out there publicly, but <laughs> I think um, by year's end, if all's well, I would love to compete. You know, yeah. and I think um, if anything, as Lee just mentioned, it will be the ultimate stress management lesson <laughs> in stress management. Because I mean, going to class for me is stress management, right? Yeah, I mean, of I get I get pretty ramped up 
um, prior to class, and it's only <laughs> I'm just it's, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> sweating. You know, I'm gonna just pass. The, I don't know. I don't. But I, I would say in the last two weeks, my my goal is really to relax, to get in. First of all, to get into class. Whatever thoughts I have pre pre class, mm-hmm. whatever doubts I have pre class, I kind of shut it down by you know redirecting my focus. Mm-hmm. And um, the last couple of weeks, you know, I've been training with some guys that are larger, faster, and about the same level, but larger and faster. And um, I've worked on just breathing. My goal is just to maintain a position, uh, to fight a position, to just embrace where I am with it. But, um, you know, it really translates into other things. I always tell my partners and I told myself that – the toughest part of the day is hopefully over, right? I mean... Yeah. Philosophically, it's amazing, man. We've talked about this before. But what you just said, when you get into a position, obviously you're talking about like an uncomfortable position. That, yes. Don't. And you, <laughs> you're learning to, to accept it, breathe, and then work in it. Meaning, like, think about that on the, not the literal end, but the figurative end. So in life, how many times does that happen? That All day. All I mean, ha- I mean day. If, if that doesn't happen to you, I don't know what you're doing, but like it, that should happen a lot. It's, yeah. And, and how, I think one of the, one of the best ways to kind of manage that way out or, or to progress past that or to help yourself is to settle into that position, breathe, and then figure out what to do. And that happens all the time in jiu-jitsu. That's basically what jiu-jitsu is. It's like, all right, let me figure out this. All right, I'm in an comf- uncomfortable position. I got. I have to figure out a new thing now. I have to do this again. Da 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 da. So it's a. It that's what it really emphasizes. And I would say for all the physical therapists that are listening, um, and even <clears throat> personal trainers, anybody in the fitness, strength, and conditioning world, uh, often those uncomfortable positions may be uncomfortable patients that are presenting a problem to you, mm-hmm. whether that is in their disposition or the way they're clinically presenting. And just speaking on my own experience, you know, that's awfully, uh, you know, often could be stifling when you have a patient that is not responding to treatment the way you anticipated mm-hmm. or, you know, comes, can literally verbally or <laughs> verbally attack you for not, quote, doing the right thing. There's mm-hmm. so many situations that as a physical therapist, uh, we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And uh, that's with a patient. Then look at the clinic you're working at. Mm-hmm. Uh, often, you know, you're well-intentioned and you're making strides with your patients. But unfortunately, you know, we, we work in a... Many of us may work in an environment that might be an uncomfortable position. <laughs> <laughs> so looking and, and, you know, hanging in, breathing, looking for, you know, looking for looking the next for step. Openings. Looking for openings, looking for... You know, just looking to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, personal trainers, you know, you have a, a particular, you know, if you got into fitness, uh, chances are you enjoy working out, you enjoy movement, and then you're presented with a person that has physical limitations or perceived physical limitations. And it really is your job to kind of scale what you're doing and or express to that person that there is uh, there's a way for them to move and get to where they have to go. So, I mean, the connection between uh, the jujitsu and life, and uh, it's pretty pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool, and I do think that's what contributes to the obsession that everybody experiences. Yes, yes. and it, it's not it's not just one person. It's so funny when I tell people who don't know about jujitsu about this obsession. 
they look at you like, really? Uh, like it's not it's not just me, man. It's like no, everybody no, who does no, it, no, no, they no. say the same thing. And it's waves too. I mean, I've been definitely, doing, it's waves. So like I've been practicing for a little over a year, and initially was like, okay, this is cool, and then like obsessed, and then a little back away. You know, life happens, business happens, things start picking up different places in your life. Mm-hmm. But uh, last night. Fell asleep to uh, attack the back. Yeah. <laughs> I fell asleep nice. to an instructional video with. Uh, what with you're going to do is take his back yeah. and put one hook True, in, right. and then you're going to slip your arm around his neck oh, and tighten God, it up it. like a snake. Oh, love <laughs> straight. I mean, the way he he's he's the man. Very lucky to. Uh, oh, yesterday, man, yesterday yeah. imagine this. I'm warming up in class. Hmm. He's three feet away with a uh, private. No. Just on his phone watching the white belts um, warm up. Ooh. And I think he was he does that he, occasionally. He yeah, he does that a lot. He usually does that in the evening though. He's watching. <laughs> the, the move. He's yeah, looking for he who's is. coming up, you know? He, I think that and also he he's watching how um he's you know, the, the we're, who we're talking about is Mr. John Danner. He's yes. an incredible yes. jiu-jitsu instructor at Henzo Gracie Academy and he's the one who heads up <clears throat> the jiu-jitsu program there. His uh, sensei is Henzo Gracie, of course, so they together are kind of the key people there. Anyway, so he, he's always at the school. He's there you know, almost 24-7. Um, and I do believe, because when I used to be a white belt in the evening class, he would he usually finishes his day and he, he'll kind of sit and watch. Um, but he'll do intermittently. And I think he is looking to see coming up people, but also I think he's looking for inspiration for how technique is being applied. And this is a, a true teacher and obviously a true student, true learner who's always trying to improve and always trying to observe. And he's an academic guy, too. I mean, his oh, background a, is in philosophy. An academic. He, he is a really polite. Like, he'll give me a smile. I'll, I'll smile at him. He'll smile at me. And he, eh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's the nature of our interaction. But it's really, you know, watching him um, give privates uh, occasionally, you know, as I'm warming up, it's really cool to be in the the room, uh, him, Halls, and a couple other guys, the whole brother, they were just nice. hanging out um, Love yesterday, it. and they were probably talking about the next event that we're going to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So we went, so on the same day, because the grappling industries was during the day in the morning, and in the evening, we had tickets to Kasai Pro 3. Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, man. That it was, was so a, cool. It was a main event. I mean, it was very well organized. Really classy place. Um, Hammerston Ballroom. Yeah, it was uh, just really well done. I mean, the the, the lights, the, just the whole way they set everything up was pretty cool. And the undercards uh, were quite quite impressive and, again, inspiring. Some of them were geese. Some of them were young ladies. I mean, the, one of the, the, I would say, the highlights of the night were two... Hundred? How old do you think they were? Hundred and five uh, pound I don't females. Know. I it was they crazy, might have been man. under eighteen. I think. You think so? I don't know. I, don't really... th- th- I I would agree with you, but uh, this is when you, it's so weird, man. You, you watch them come onto the stage. They're, you know, we're all about body language. This is our profession: is to observe body language. The first thing you think of when you watch these athletes come out onto the stage is like they have maturity. They have some sort of. Um, movement maturity, and usually you get that when you get older because you've been alive for a certain <laughs> amount of time and you move for a certain amount of time. But th- th- I, I, from afar, from the stage, I was like, oh, they got to be like in their 20s. But then one of them came up into the stands Yo. and you heard them talk for a second. Like, oh, 
Maybe they're like 17, right. 18. Right. Um, so that's a good question. I don't know. But they, again, how explosive they were, how strong the technique were, how complex the things that they were doing. I mean, at so fast, too. That was so cool to watch. I, I don't know. If they were 17, 18, I think like a ballet dancer, they, they've learned so much already in terms of movement. Composure. Both of them. Composure, we're talking yeah. about. We're talking about them being in very uncomfortable situations with each of them trying to uh, strangle, strangle each strangle other, each other <laughs> in, in, in interesting positions and and just the energy that they pose and, and the poise. You know, it was really, really cool to watch. But the undercards, some of the geese we saw, black belt gi, I mean, some of the escapes, you know, you would think from, at, from a physical therapist perspective, mm. if you would see the joint, locks that were applied hmm. and the pressure being applied and the ability for the person to escape and then get into a favorable position or not it, there was I mean, that one one uh the two black belts in the gi that the guy hurt his leg we don't know if it was the you had the theory right. of the acl acl or possibly a hammy acl yeah he he had no control man yeah that was crazy so he he was uh the his opponent got his back and that other guy stood up. So the the guy's on his back. It's like a backpack. And he was like lean forward. So he's basically just using his hamstrings, lower back to support. And somehow he reverses the the position. And he ended up getting the guy back on the ground and, you know, in a favorable position to pass. Then that's when the referee set them. When the referee set them, he started to, his leg gave out and he couldn't really put weight on it again. Yeah, and they had to stop the match. Stopped the match and it was a quick, Get off the mat. Well, yeah, no, well, it's true. I, I was, I didn't know what, I don't know what the rules are when it comes to that. Because, like, let's say traditional sports, like, I'm excuse the example, of soccer, because the World Cup just happened. But someone gets hurt, they stop everything, and then they figure out what happens. Either take the guy off the field or replace them. And but, like, I guess even in boxing or MMA, that they would have to set if the person is bleeding too much in MMA. Then they would they would have to wait for a doctor stoppage, hmm. otherwise the guy could choose to go back in. In this case, I think it was an automatic loss. Yeah, like was, if they he can't, couldn't, he couldn't continue. Yeah, but it was kind of cool because his competitor was the guy that brought him off, right? Yeah. So going back high, you know, probably the highest level, you know, you can get, um, <clears throat> and these guys are still friendly, despite you know, trying to uh, rip each other's heads off. Right, um, literally. Um, what else was pretty interesting? Uh, the, the the energy, the explosiveness. Um, I don't know the gentleman's name that was bouncing around the stage. Renato. I don't know his last name. I, um, I, he's a young guy, 23 years old. I could look it up. Yeah. Give me one. He, he, this gentleman came out on the stage like a fireball, <laughs> um, hopping around. I mean, one would think he has some kind of gymnastics background because super flexible. Um, he was a bit of a, a character, right? So he had there was a little showboating going on, but I think all within a certain limit. I don't think he, it was a disrespect, right? It wasn't no. too disrespect. I mean, he, he was egging. He, yeah, he striked me as someone who's extremely athletic and confident, and just wanted to um, kind of show that as yeah. he did it. And again, this is um, Renato Canudo. Uh, young guy, I, I don't know where he's from originally, but uh, him and his wife are really high-level jiu-jitsu people. Yeah, it was, it was um, again, inspiring watching. And uh, talk about being at the center of the universe of jiu-jitsu. We, um, 
You met somebody. Oh, I met somebody. <laughs> I, I, shook um, his hand. I actually shook, uh, shook, for those of you who don't know, it's Eddie Bravo, and he is the creator of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. And Eddie Bravo kind of brings a whole different flair to jiu-jitsu uh, based in the West Coast, but these guys kind of practice completely differently. I mean, it's it's all no gi, right? I mean, all no gi, and it's his own system. And they have a very strict... Uh, ranking system so you have to be able it's not it's not just a like it, time and training but you have to be able to do sequences of movement similar to like katas um mm-hmm. warm up you know i don't know how many there. there's so many you have to be able to do them uh with skill underneath an instructor and then they'd be able to promote you to the next bell and i think they it's similar to our school they think they want you to compete to even test out your level and then they'll kind of judge it on that but uh this gentleman i mean it is I want to say he's a. Con- I don't think he's. Is he a controversial figure? I don't know. I, I don't think well, so. On at this one point. end, I, I, all I know is what I watch on social media, so I could be totally wrong about this. But I've seen a couple videos, and I think the, tra- the traditionalists, and we're talking about like traditional Gracie jiu-jitsu and maybe even combat jiu-jitsu, they do not fully uh, accept that he's like a jiu-jitsu style because. He's doing moves that he he created, like the rubber guard. That's him. Right. The electric right. chair, whatever it's the called. Twister. The twister. I'm sorry, yeah, electric yeah. chair. Uh, <laughs> it uh, might be. I saw so. I looked online. No, I saw some right. wild names. <laughs> I was like, hey, but uh, he's got all of those. Yeah. And I, I just don't think they like it because it it wasn't something that is based in like the the basic parts of jujitsu. Right. And the fact that he doesn't do gi. Gotcha, I think that's a gotcha. big thing. I mean, I I, uh, I shook his hand. He was nice enough, you know. He's, you know, I told him, you know, great work you do, and um, yada yada yada. But it was, I mentioned I like him hearing hearing him on Joe Rogan is pretty entertaining. Yeah, it is. But um, but again, he he seemed like a cool guy, and um, you could see him interacting with people from the Gracie camp. Uh, from Henzo, Henzo Gracie's in particular. Actually, I was talking to Brian, mm-hmm. and he was telling me that Danaher and. Eddie Bravo were just chilling, talking right in front no. of them. Yeah, they were talking. That's hilarious. Super calm. So all the animosity to social media may play out. You, you see that, you know, at the end of the day, each of these camps are actually bringing jujitsu to the forefront, um, yeah. both in popularity uh, and just membership. And, again, I think it's um, a pretty powerful thing. It is. So uh, Eddie Bravo has, in California – he, I, I mean, this is what I thought of when we went uh, on Saturday. Was Eddie Bravo's got the EBI, and he's t- and I've seen some videos about him explaining about what the EBI is, and the EBI stands for Eddie Bravo Invitational, and it's a competition that he holds, I think, yearly, if not a couple times a year. Um, and he wants it to make it a show. He wants it to make it make it exciting. People who don't know what jujitsu is, he wants people to watch it, and so it's. You know, it's all done up. Looks like a concert. You got music. You got um, like the exciting announcers. You got the social media build up. Uh, you got all that. And so I feel like Kasai is is also that. Like yes, at this point, yes. and it's only the third one that they're and doing. I spoke to somebody about that and uh-huh. said, "Well, no, it's you know the the creators of Kasai uh, want to even you know one up EBI in the sense that." Um, some of the creators, one of the major ones being Halls Gracie, uh-huh. uh, come from the most traditional of backgrounds. Uh, they come, you know, the, the grandson of uh, of Helio. I think so. Oh, Carlos. I th- I'm going to get my, this wrong. I, I don't want to <laughs> get this wrong. It's in the family. Yeah. Uh, it's in the family. And the bottom line is, as Lee said, 
you know, they want to bring that popularity. And just to kind of contrast, the grapplers industry tournament that we went to, even IBB, what is it, IBJ? IBJJF. Right. When we've seen some of those competitions that I've been to, you know, it to an outsider, it would be very difficult to kind of follow to mm. some extent. Whereas in Kasai, um, they also have rule systems, but the entertainment factor would draw you in. Yeah. The athleticism would draw you. I mean, the level of competition would draw you in, even if you didn't know much about the sport. Yep. Uh, I would even venture out to say that it, you may want to look into it as you know you'd probably explore it more after an event like this yeah yeah i mean they had um awesome an announcer that we oh, know we know man. him and I, he I gave him a pound yesterday i was like great job he was yeah. like thank you he was, <laughs> he was great i mean I, he he rivals bruce brupper on the ufc i mean he could really he, he's really obviously very artic- articulate he's loud he's able to kind of uh, make soul, it exciting man. yeah, yeah. He, was, he was like from the belly he was yeah he was uh was he good. was projecting. <laughs> he was. No, it's funny. You made a comment during the night, uh, which I found pretty interesting because it's so true. Like the level, we, we were sitting in the stands, and er, you look to your right, look to your left. You see a lot of cauliflower ear. See a lot of high level people. There's uh, Luke Rockhold and Jake Shields were sitting in the front row. I mean UFC, um, but it's a very dangerous room. Oh, it's like you probably the most dangerous room in New York City at that time, <laughs> right? I mean, like you go to an average bar and you might find one or two of those people <clears throat> who you wouldn't you wouldn't want to have an interaction with on a bad day, um, and never mind being in an entire room full of those people. I guess the whole point is it's interesting to think about. I mean, oh, it's in, and even in the <clears throat> locker room uh, today, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. in, I'm getting ready. I'm taping up my wrist. Uh, Gordon Ryan to my left. Just chilling, putting on his gi, you know, calm as a cucumber. I, I was kind of in his way. I was like, excuse me, that's all right. You know, and that was, you know, uh, passing, you know, it's no no celebrity. Everybody's everybody's doing the same thing, which is trying to improve themselves yes. little by little. Exactly. That's definitely something I want to, uh, when, I, when I start posting. Uh, <laughs> that that constant self-development, you know, even with my training partner today, I mentioned that, that um, day by day, man, just Super little important. by little. But the Kasai, the danger in the room was high. But again, you bump into somebody in Kasai, hey, excuse me, you know, yeah, the, the level of respect for one another was, is high. Now, I don't know how it turned out as we left, but um, yeah. no, no, I'm sure it was just fine. It, it, it was a great event. It was, yeah. And there was a little little smack talking, but that's okay. <clears throat> it was I, I all resolved. I, yeah. Oh, that was great. Yeah. By a small guy. Yeah. I don't even want to discuss that one, but he... He showed up, man. It's yeah. interesting when I saw him on EBI in Palestine. He um, he looks so much larger. I don't. He looks bigger than looks bigger than he was. You know, that's the posture. That's Crazy. the posture. But I would not want him to grab my leg, man. No, I'll <laughs> be gone in a second. Right. Um, I went to. Uh, I mentioned it last week or the week before, I should say. I uh, went to something called the Juggernaut Training System Summit. So if you're not familiar with the Juggernaut Training System, um, it is a company out in California. I believe the the head person is a gentleman named Chad Wesley Smith. He's like the head guy. Um, but they've done, I think this might have been the third or fourth time they've done this, quote, summit, where a whole group of them come out. And it was out in Long Island on this past Sunday. 
<clears throat> and they all kind of split different topics, and they give a great deal of information. It, it was only $150. I thought it was well worth it, very much worth it. And the information that I got from them I found very helpful, and I, I'm disseminating it right now or trying to, and I'm definitely going to uh, kind of get more uh, products from them and probably attend more seminars from them because I really like it. Do they have anything coming up in the near future? I have to look. Uh, I'm not sure. This summit, I think they do once a year with all them, um, but they have a lot of videos for free online, and then they have stuff that you can buy. They have books. Um, so it was split up. So they had this guy, Chad Wesley Smith, as I described. He's a competitive powerlifter. If you look at his stuff, I mean, he, he lifts an extreme amount of weight, and he's very high-ranked in the powerlifting world. They also had this gentleman named Dr. James Hoffman. He's a Ph.D. in sports physiology, and he talked about what he, ca- cool. what he said, recovery adaptive strategies. I thought that was awesome. Uh, and he was hilarious, too. That's the other thing, too. It was highly entertaining. These guys, the presenters, presenters, you, they've been, they've obviously been together for a while. They make each other laugh, and they're funny people, and they, they know their shit. So they're smart, funny, and strong. So I don't know how you can go wrong with that. Yeah, that's just good combo, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, with I'm curious, like, what um of the stuff Lee and I presented a while back on, like recovery. It was so what, crazy. What, what, what? I mean, how is it same, different? I mean, I would love to know. Yeah, where it is now. Yeah, I I pulled as this as Dr. James Hoffman was talking because he was doing the recovery part. I pulled up our slides. I had my computer with me, and it was almost I, I'm not gonna say identical. There was the same concepts. He talked about wow. functional overreaching, non-functional overreaching. He talked about uh, active and passive strategies. But what he had, what we didn't have, is he had some incredible stats that they run on their own athletes that's several years old. And they have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of clients, and they can do anything they want, you know, to run numbers and stuff like that. So I thought that was super cool. Um, And he had his own experiences as a Ph.D. guy uh, working at a traditional school and everything. So, But it it was cool that we had some similar stuff. So I started to, like, you know, edit our previous uh, presentation. Maybe we could do that again. I would love to do that. I think, um, you know, there's a couple of places we could present this. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're going to talk business here now, but uh, (laughs) the um, clinic I'm at now, I would would definitely uh, think another recap at Jay's place. I mean, there's definitely... We could reach out. Yeah, we could reach and out. And if anyone's listening to this and they ever want, they uh, we have two seminars. Two seminars. We have two presentations that we have done so far that we've gotten good feedback. One is in a jujitsu clinic. Sorry, in a physical therapy <laughs> clinic about jujitsu. And so it's this teaching uh, clinicians who have not been exposed to jujitsu what it, what jujitsu is and what their patients might be going through if. They're taking jujitsu. Just give them a better understanding how to treat these people. Right. I think um, there was definitely <laughs> some good feedback on that because one uh, pretty complex art, but most importantly, as a clinician, it's hard to kind of stay abreast with all these movement practices. Mm-hmm. Jujitsu is very unique, I would say, from running, lifting, soccer, biking, power walking. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever, whatever activity you're in, kayaking, whatever it is. I mean, it's a very unique um, breed, a unique movement. So it's it's pretty cool. And I did read that article you sent me, which was amazing. The juggernaut. Uh, that was crazy. Uh, that was very cool. These guys, they're in it. Yeah, these juggernaut. Well, I, I don't want to. 
butcher this guy. Juggernaut Training Systems. Juggernaut Training Systems. They actually have a really cool article on the energy systems or the uh, that a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner go through and and how what's important in the performance of B- BJJ. And I, it's pretty spot on. And it's talking to cl- talking to other um, strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning, not even. Uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belts, for instance. Uh-huh. Uh, I know a gentleman that's a trainer in a brown belt, and I was like, so what do you do to lift? And he looked at me, he's like, stay loose. He was like, I really, I want to, you know, I work with a lot of body weight stuff. I don't want to be sore. I want to be strong. But, like, it, it, basically he does not. He's not pushing himself. He's not too. pushing himself, but he's also not doing, like, a bodybuilder hypertrophy kind of work. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, that being said, you know, Basically, he said it's really, you know, he, he said it's essential to do stuff outside of the mat. And I think that that's not commonplace within the community. Correct. Um, but I want to go back. I'm going to let Leaf talk about recovery mm. strategies. So that, that um, pretty cool. So it was very in line with what we were doing, but yeah. the difference being the stats on their athletes. Exactly. And that was the coolest part is hearing what they have experienced with these high-level powerlifters people who are breaking records at nationals and stuff and why they're breaking records i mean even the first talker was chad wesley smith and he talked about programming and he just spoke on what they call their their uh the mrv which i believe they came up with and mrv stands for maximum recoverable volume so basically they came up with a system that they uh kept into account uh, your history. So, I, I mean, I can even pull up the slides later, but basically on a number scale, they ask you questions about sleep. They ask you questions about your past athletic history, male versus female, heavy and light, your experience with lifting, um, all these things, <clears throat> and it gives you a number. And that number you calculate towards uh, programming. So what is going to be, uh, what, what's going to dictate how much you work in a week is your volume. And if you don't know what a volume is, it's basically how much uh, combined sets and reps you're doing. But usually, uh, so they've cut out the set, uh, sorry, they, they've cut out the um, uh, reps part and they just give you the sets. And so let's say, you know, you're going to do 18 sets in a week of squats then you're going to uh, squat variations in addition, then you just split it up throughout the whatever man, however many days you're going to do it. So, like, in a general scheme of things, if you're a heavier person, a bigger person, you're going to be doing less sets per week to reach your maximum recoverable volume versus, let's say, a female, very light, um, very small person because uh, they'll need to do more to achieve the same uh, impact on the nervous system versus the big guy. And it was all scientific great, stuff. Great it was so stuff. cool. Great um, stuff. I could show you the numbers later. Uh, then they had the, this guy named Max Atia, who is a competitive weightlifter. He went over some mechanics of weightlifting, which is like the Olympic lifts. They have this guy uh, who I know, uh, Quinn Henock. He's a physical therapist, part of clinical athlete. He went over a lot of research and training. He, he also went over some really cool stuff, some research that shows uh, injuries that occur due to either overtraining, uh, training too, or sorry, progressing too quickly or not training at all. And I can't remember the what it was called, but the article he gave us um, showed that there's like a sweet spot that you have to keep training to minimize these risks of injury in sport. And oh, it, it was great because on. it's like evidence for 
what we went over a couple times ago. Your body won't thank you when you take a long break. Like no. you have to keep it going. <clears throat> I mean, I'm two weeks. Um, a little recap. I'm two weeks back into uh, practicing jujitsu and, and strength training, and you know, I feel I feel much better. But um, yeah, it. it the break doesn't help anybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, like help. a complete break. Like a you could take break. a quote yeah. break. but Yeah. And I, look, over the weekend, I, I took uh, Saturday and Sunday off. Friday, I did a little mobility. Mm. Felt strong <clears throat> yesterday. Felt like I sprained my MCL. <laughs> little SI thing. Sleep is a beautiful thing. Slept yes. well last night. Woke up. It's all gone. Yeah, man. They um, went over all the stats the for sleep. sleep. Is, it's interesting. That was the first marker you asked for. And, and yep. um that's pretty cool how they, they take in consideration those other f- critical factors like your experience, uh, sleep, injury probably at some point, age, weight. Yeah, they, they talk about exercise tolerance. That was another thing too. So your exercise, your athletic history and your current um, athletic or whatever you're doing right now for movement, they take that into account and give it a number because they've obviously found – that that makes a huge difference. Like what how, what Chad said, he's like, if I gave someone who's equal amount, he weighs about three fifty, and he's like, if Damn. I he's a big, man. Uh, <laughs> he's like, if I gave some a novice list, lifter who's my size, my volume, it would kill them. Of course. And so his his body is literally you know conditioned differently, which is so true. And then also take into account the years it takes to build that. I mean, they don't just do like six weeks and then they're good. It's like been doing this for years like yeah, and that, years and years their trajectory years. i mean for all of you who are new to movement um the, the good thing you guys got on your your side is you you, you have a pretty exponential the, the jump in your strength and body composition gain um drop or gain whatever um mm. is going to be so much greater than someone like this gentleman that's been lifting for a while so they really have to fight for those gains right um whereas a novice you know you're going to see those that jump but as lee's saying i mean the 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 programming is critical because you could easily slip into that overtraining zone Mm -hmm. and that's very discouraging and that may lead to an injury or more more importantly it leads to non-compliance right it leads (laughs) to someone just falling off the program um yeah very true um and then the last guy uh his name is dr mike Israel Tell. Uh, again, he's another PhD in sports physiology. This guy was probably the funniest out of all of them. Habit forming. I like that. <laughs> oh, man. He, and, yeah, he talked about diet and like, you know, what the stages are from like inspiration all the way to discipline to actually making something a habit. And that was cool. Like coming from a numbers uh, statistics, he had cauliflower ear, so I was, I was a little extra interested to hear what he had to say. So, um, And it, it, what's interesting is that Chad – this guy, the 350-pound guy, mm-hmm. he's a white belt at Gracie Bar. So he just started jiu-jitsu. But if you look at his social media stuff, he competed at Worlds, IBJJF Worlds, for the crazy. white belt heavyweight. And he got second, wow. which is insane. I mean, it, he's... I would hate. Oh, my God. Imagine, imagine 350. <laughs> you, should, you should see the match that they <laughs> have on uh, IBJJF. So it's probably 230 plus or two. Or... I don't know. That's a good question. It has to be. I can't imagine that there's like... Like a 300-pound weight class in IBJJF. I got to show you a video with Henner and this other guy saying that, like, 
weight, age matters. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it matters to it. <laughs> oh, and you told me about, was it you who told me about that stat that they created yes, based on that's, the family? I'm going to send you the, yes. Yeah. That, that was, yes. You got to talk was, about that. That was interesting. That, it was, um, so I was, uh, I don't know, looking up 40 plus jiu-jitsu practitioners. <laughs> I don't know how this, this came about my search, but Hannah Gracie, who's based out of California, I think, uh, Florence, 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 uh, Torrance, Torrance, mm-hmm. um, you know, son of Horian guys, really, he's definitely a promoter of jujitsu. Um, I would say nationally and more, mostly on the West side, but definitely here in the East coast. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, he was talking about one of his black belts that was an older gentleman. I, I believe he was 45 or 50 and he was tapped out by, I think a blue or purple belt. And he was like, listen, I don't know. You know, he was really down, and he was like, I can't believe how this is happening. And now the guy that tapped him out was a 28-year-old, you know, half his age, athletic, strong guy. And, and, you know, Hannah said, you know, age, you know, age, if someone is 10 pounds heavier than you, it's almost like they're a belt. 10 or 20 pounds, it's a level up. Right. If someone's 10 years younger than you, that's like a level up. So it was basically, and I, I'm going to read, I, I got to definitely, maybe we'll put this in the show notes, the actual clip, yeah. but he, he describes how, you know, you have to consider that in your training. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change anything because again, it's, it's what we're discussing is really the ego right. and, and the, the, um, illusion of a belt. Cause you know, black belt, white belt, you know, in a certain situation, anything could happen. True. So, I mean, um, that being said. He was trying to, the whole video, I mean, he created this, unfortunately, the gentleman that this happened to passed early. I think he had some, he might have had cancer or heart attack. So he said that this was like the so-and-so belt system, and, and you, you take in age, weight, age and weight uh, mm-hmm. into account mm-hmm. um, in people's previous, previous history, right? Yeah. So a blue belt that's like a pro wrestler, you know, that has a <laughs> wrestling... A pro wrestler is not the a collegiate wrestler or professional. Uh, it's gonna make a huge difference. It's gonna make a huge difference. Yeah. So, it, it was really, it was really cool to hear that, and um, it, it plays into what we were discussing. Yeah, I'm gonna find that now as Leaf continues. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely a big difference. You have to take into all all those things. You have to take into consideration. Um, but I highly recommend it. Juggernaut Training Systems. Uh, any uh, you know. Any information they have on the internet, social media, definitely their courses. I went to the summit, which is a combination of all these guys talking about different things. I was highly intrigued, and I'm going to pursue more uh, with them. Another thing we wanted to touch upon, this week there was an article that was getting wide attention and circulation was the fact that NYU Medical School is offering free tuition to their current medical students and apparently to future medical students. Wild stuff. It was crazy. Zero, zero. Zero. And, and you know, I, I, I think that's great. I think it's fantastic. A couple people asked me my opinion, but my initial instinct was this. And I think I told you this already, but, like, that's fantastic. How about the other, quote, medical health-related programs? I'm not even say PT. How about OT? How about speech therapy? How about all these other things that are now coming to light in terms of their value and their objectivity, their efficacy, showing to be better than surgeries and stuff like that? 
how about them? Like, how about, you know, the ROI, the return on investment when they put in that time and they have to do all these other crazy things to kind of pay back that student debt? And, of course, my personal experience with physical therapy school is ongoing in terms of that. Um, so that uh, that was my conflict. Great. And then also, what about other stuff? What about other stuff? And what do you mean by that, though? I'm a, mm-hmm. Great that they're offering that now. But what about for all those that... <laughs> That don't have that, didn't have that luxury. You're saying, and no, yeah. I, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about them, but like the, <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> retro, retrograde. They're like, let's wipe away. Oh, that would mean that would yeah. be cool too. I mean, if they could do that, for someone. Our I think the article is interesting because I think they said, so who's paying? I think there was a comment or something like, so who's going to pay? You know, someone's going to pay. I mean, how? I guess maybe NYU has a ridiculous endowment. A patient told me, a patient yeah. told me, and this patient is very well connected, and she said, you have no idea what some of the New York schools have in terms Endowment, of yeah. endowments, in terms of, she, she, there was apparently a calculation. They could pay for every person in the United States to go to undergrad for the next hundred years or something like that. One school, one school could do that. And I was like, how is that possible? That's like... Gross national debt kind of shit. Like, I, I don't know. They, I know Columbia and NYU in particular, they are probably, Columbia is the number, and this was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, someone very well connected in the city mentioned that Columbia is the largest property owner in the city. Yes. Outside of the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. And I don't know if that's the case now. I mean, things, times have changed. Times but, have uh, changed. NYU, they're also they're not they're not too far in terms of the property they own. Yeah, that is interesting. So I mean, if they have you know they have it's just they're not getting it from just education. I mean, they have multiple streams of income. income. Yeah, yeah. I I, I guess it, what confuses me because I'm such a lay person with this stuff is that you read a general article and you talk to let's say a PhD student and. They're always talking about getting more grants, getting more money. They don't have enough money to pay for this, pay for that. So it's like, obviously, there's a person who's dictating where that those funds go, and maybe they're not bringing it to certain areas, and maybe for some reason I'm in more contact with that versus what we're talking about now. But it's it was really interesting. So, I mean, that's great. I feel like it's great. I hope other schools follow suit, and we stop this f- fucking craziness with debt, and, and it's... Yeah. I am going to – I have to talk about it from a physical therapist perspective because it's – I'm a physical therapist. You're a oh, physical yeah, therapist. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we have, a, we have a friend whose family members, multiple family members, are physicians. Hmm. And we had this – we had similar conversa- conversations with him in school about debt and medical debt. And he educated us on – and I didn't know this before. I started talking to him about this over 10 years ago. But the amount of money, let's say, an orthopedic surgeon Oof. has to pay in um, mortgages, buddy. <laughs> no, no not mortgages. Uh, insurance, uh, liability oh, insurance. Liability so insurance. like three hundred grand a year for the liability insurance, Ins- and then let's say if they're affiliated with a the hospital, they have to do their liability insurance, and then if they're they usually have their own thing going on, they have to do that. So that's like even dentistry. Um, I remember talking to um, a client of mine that was a dentist. And he said, like, the amount of money that went on. He went to NYU mm-hmm. when it was pretty much free in the 70s. Wow. So it was, they gave it away. I think he must have spent, like, something like three to four grand a year. On uh, liability? On, on, no, on tuition. On school. Oh, my God. So 
That's like and Hunter he, college yes. money. <laughs> and th- not even. And Hunter's probably H- more expensive. Hunter's like six grand Look at that. So, I mean, damn, that's crazy. Yeah. They, even that's still good. Yeah. But he said, I, I don't know the figure, and, and this may be totally off, but he said something like it would be three to four hundred grand. And that total. Total. For dentistry. And, oh, well they're, well, they're the top in yeah. the nation. Yeah. So, then, then there's, you know. A little thing called interest. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so you're not could, paying that like in the yeah, first yeah, six months exactly, of school. Exactly. Well, so. I do. I saw, again, these are these are all um, you know stories that I have of friends of friends. I had a friend who uh, is also a physical therapist. He had a friend who went to uh, dentistry school. I think NYU. He got a job right out of school in Colorado for two hundred eighty-five thousand dollars a year. And I, I was blown away by that, and I, I had no idea they made uh, the potential to make so much money. But in light of this. If he went to NYU, he's not going to get anywhere near that for the first, what, like five, six years or whatever it is? Yeah, I mean, look, crazy. I think one thing I'll say to all the therapists out there, and, and I told and I, this, I must have said this on another podcast for sure, but, you know, guys, um, and a lot of the new, the newer therapists coming out are already on this mode, but really think of that return on your investment. So really getting out of school, positioning yourselves to um to really try to it's hard to say i mean i, I want to say capitalize capitalize on what you do leverage leverage it you know uh diversify yourself um don't don't think of um making somebody else rich because the truth is unfortunately as a new graduate you know you you may take a job for quote experience and you know in that you might be working you might be just missing time and I and I'm really glad to see a lot of new grads, kind of getting out on the scene, and really trying to do their thing on their own. Now there's this draw. We've we've discussed this in the past. There's drawbacks to this, where your focus should be on acquiring clinical skills. Um, yeah, acquiring clinical skills, and unfortunately, when you jump right into the business of it, you know a lot of these things get pushed to the side. Yeah, um, and uh, they shouldn't, but. It's really um, something's going to shift. I mean, and we're talking only on our field, but I mean, one of the biggest bubbles in the United States, if you don't know already, is is student debt. You know, people that are going to Ivy League schools and paying X amount of dollars, they're coming out, you know, with the degree. I'm just going to use it. You know, no, um, no, no judgment, but let's say you have a degree in, in gardening or. English. You can get a degree so- in gardening. I don't know. I, Hort- I, horticulture. A, hor- horticulture <laughs> or, or marine biology, whatever it is. You yeah. know, I, I don't know. But the truth is, is that you get out in the real world and like, now what? You know, you have this right. student debt, and you know, so it, it's a different world. And I think when we were in school, we've discussed this before, but there was like this track that people talk about, like, oh, you have to work in the hospital first. That's right. That's old Get school. Get some experience, and then if you want to go in. And we were lucky enough to have professors that said, no, no, no. If you want to, if you, ortho is what you want to do, I'll just get into it. Yes. And we were we were definitely advised to kind of jump in and even advised on our continuing education. You know, Emil, yep. Dr. Emil yep. um, would tell us, hey, you know, if this is what you want to do, these are the courses you should be taking. Get into it as soon as possible. He said the same thing for if you wanted to do any sort of teaching. Right. Get into that as soon as possible. And that was interesting to me. Uh, everything's fucking interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, Are you after uh, hearing all the podcasts, uh, you're, uh, you're interested. Yeah, we, 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 we. <laughs> um, 
what I found uh, enlightening. Get that th- thesaurus out. About, yeah, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I'll Google it. Um, is that that initially that was what I was told is like if you want to be a good clinician, start in the hospital first. Do you, basically they said do your time. Yeah, and that's, that's, I was like, "What's this thing? Prison? We just yeah, we just paid some money to go to school." Your time. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think the hospital. And this is just my experience. The, the hospital is probably, in some respects, you know, there's a lot of clinicians within the hospital system. They really think of it as a job. You know, they're not I, they're not super enthusiastic about being there. And, and and to their defense, you know, some of the things they deal with on a day to day basis in terms of the level of bureaucracy. Uh, kind of overwork, seeing some horrible situations if they're in acute care, right? They're, yep. they're seeing not only patients but dealing with family issues, losing patients. I mean, I, in my experience um, at some major hospitals, Mount Sinai and Bellevue, I mean, it was a challenging, very challenging experience that I grew a lot from. But I, I knew early on mm-hmm. this isn't – this environment's not for me. You yeah. Know I mean – that's funny you say that. I went to Columbia Presbyterian, Mount Sinai, and I had those instructors that shouldn't have been. I shouldn't say that. They were very. They were treated like a job, and they were very uh, abusive towards students. That's fine. Um, it's okay. But, they taught us, you know. They did teach they, us they a taught, lot. They taught us a lot of what not to do, and and also just. It puts in perspective the kind of therapist we wanted to come across. What, why we got into the profession. Um, and how far ahead of the game? I don't. I don't mean to, to you know to be to be so. Um, no, just proud. be it. Be it, man. I'm be it. Well, so how ahead of, ahead of the game? The truth is, a lot of my clinical instructors. Uh, you got were, a pen? We're, got cl- we're, we're, we're clueless. We're clueless as to how to talk to patients, to to, to people. Let me just yes. put it that way. And hopefully, they're listening to this. But you guys taught me a lot. Thank you. I appreciate it. Same here, Hopeful man. as well. And I hope you're doing I, transfers, full transfers, buddy. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, from my well, perspective, was a rant. there was at least, at least one uh, that taught me a lot. And I would say I am in a position I am now because of them. Yes. A lot to yes, do with them. Yes. A lot to do with them. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm happy. Made you more better. Uh, right? Made you more better. <laughs> Definitely. They got me out of the hospital, which is fantastic. Oh, man. Um, but what an experience. It's all good. What an experience. It was. Again, it, 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 uh, that, I'm stuttering over here. The, um, <laughs> Post jiu the, the clinical instructor aspect was one of it, but one of the highlights of, um, of the hospital was the ability to really help people in some really horrible circumstances, which were post-stroke, yeah. post-heart attack. And they, they probably got a level of care that they would never get because they had this enthusiastic student. They wanted to do the right thing. And I definitely credit a lot of the hospitals in the area, these teaching hospitals. We, we worked in teaching hospitals. Mm. And I, I don't want to paint a horrible picture because there's some amazing clinicians, yeah. uh, a lot of which were our professors that worked at these these, these institutions. That's right, yeah. Um, so not to knock all, but there was just a couple of bad apples. <laughs> there was a couple of bad apples that shouldn't and be. And we'll, we'll put the names in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> with pictures. Uh, but it, it, it's really, oh, really, really a great experience. If you talk to a, t- a, tri- a typical physical therapist, they usually have at least one extremely bad 
uh, clinical affiliation. Yes, and and I was fortunate enough to have two, but <laughs> they had, they had at least one, <coughs> um, one and a half, one and a half. Oh, like two, one and a half. One, one, one was really tough, and the other guy was just. He was a weird dude, man. They, I, I, you know, you were with, you were around when we were both around when we were going through our terrible experiences in this. And I said this during the experience. I was like, I really think like you need to get a driver's license. You need to really put someone through rigorous rigorous training to be a CI in in those environments. I understand like in the outpatient private sector, that's a little harder because you have a lot less uh, protocols and things like that. But if you have a hospital and there's like a very big um, sample of clinicians, then you should really only have those clinicians who really want to do it. Now, uh, like Eric said, it's a small percentage, and we were we were exposed to that small percentage. But on the other side of it, there was incredible clinicians there that I was blown away by. Some of them, when I did my volunteer work at Mount Sinai, they inspired me to yes. pursue physical therapy aggressively, and yeah. they were incredible. I mean, they were like, those people should be the instructors all the time. They're, they're, they're definitely not given credit to. Um, yeah. I spent about a week on the uh the tbi the traumatic brain injury floor mm-hmm. of mount sinai which they're very they're world renowned for mm-hmm. uh and their spinal they're, they're kind of connected aren't they they're Did the spinal. <laughs> just thought of mike tyson there can't say spinal anymore because we have joke oh man uh, uh but the is it called the spinal floor what is the, it what the sci the spinal cord injury so yeah you can say spinal short they broke their back no um but they the clinicians on these floors were senior senior therapists typically um the amount of patients the amount of uh clinical and medical knowledge right so it goes way beyond biomechanics and pain science i mean this this there's a whole other level there Um, is and they're they they dealt with so many incredible things, uh, and that's, I think I was on the same floor as TBI and SCI, and it would we would bounce between the two, and the I would be working with the the PTs, OTs, and the speech therapists because they all have to get combined treatment. And we I think we spoke about that at one point, and um, they they not only have to do the clinical aspect of it, but they also have to have the energy to interact with the patients and then the family very excited you know they have they have to be able to be like you know by the next day these patients should not be dreading those treatments they should be like that's their social experience that's helping them heal that's helping them get better and and make them happy and they don't get into this rut it's super important and their energy that they showed was unbelievable yeah i mean so those few bad apples which we'll put on the post (laughs) we're gonna put on the post we're gonna put on the notes um, no, it's so funny. I have to say this is that there, I think I told you about this connection with one of them in mind uh, yeah. at the clinic at the the other place. Um, oh, man. So we had a couple of new hires, and after talking to them, both of them did affiliations, oh, and they had the same. CI. They had the same person. They had, of course, the same experience, but not the extent of apparently uh, where Wait, things had to get to involved. You? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, I, uh, but I, I was like, this is unbelievable. I, I the first I thing I calling me, yeah, dude. man, it was <laughs> the blood pressure thing. Holy shit, that was insane, dude. That was insane. I can't. I, I mean, was... we 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 could probably. My have... heart is hurting right well, now. I know. I, I, I same here, man. Ooh. I got all emotional. I'm thinking about patients. You know, I was thinking about all the patients <sighs> that 
you know, were in horrible life changing situations. Yeah. And and we had, you know, we were there for like the first week or two. And then you then you know, that's like the positive, oh my God, that we really and then you flip it and then you go, This person was dragging me through the floor saying you're gonna do a max transfer this afternoon. Oh my god. And we're gonna But uh we got to, on this podcast, I think what we should do for Talk the- Talk more uh, shit? The, the, no, for the, <laughs> the, the listeners is let them know like the first portion is BJJ because the stuff we're talking That's about right, now yeah. is really relevant to a, a, a student, yeah. uh, a new cl- Anybody that's a physical therapist have has had these experiences. Yes. Um, but it's pretty cool in that you just said two other new hires yeah. had similar experience. I also ran into people that worked at these- institutions or pass through and and they also knew them and it was just like same 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 experience and like they looked at it's like oh man that guy was tough or even tough not tough unnecessary yeah far from tough but um (laughs) uh, unnecessary it was but again it it, it's why we're doing what we're doing right now right no that's it pushed us in this other direction um so another subject we wanted to cover today, uh, something called compliance. And in, in our field, it could be definitely pushed around in a very stupid way. Um, very much so. What got us thinking about this is uh, uh, there's this incredible <laughs> – another part of the po- this podcast is when we talk about other podcasts. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I listen Joe to, Rogan? No. Joe no. Rogan. <laughs> I listen to uh, an NPR podcast called Radiolab. And they are awesome for, like, science, technology, really interesting shows. Talk about production value. They put together uh, – they edit out – they edit everything so they make it a show. Like, they make it, like, a real show with, like, you know, music and quotes and different things. It's really cool. So I think it, for them to make an episode, it takes, like, a month or something. Wow. It takes them a while, uh, maybe a couple weeks. Anyways, this, this episode was called The Bad Show. And it fascinated, fascinated me. And it wasn't about compliance and how about we're, we're going to talk about it. But it kind of got me thinking about it. So they did this show. They brought up the Stanley Milgram experiment. So if that sounds familiar to you. Psych 101. Psych 101. Uh, probably everybody who's taken Psych 101 has heard about this experiment. 1962 at Yale University uh, where they basically pretended to shock people in front of people who were asking questions to that <laughs> supposed person who was getting the answers wrong. So what was interesting is that they didn't just do one of those experiments, by the way. They did apparently over 17, if not more than that, and they found different things for each one. And so I'm not going to go into each one. Uh, Obviously, I'm not an educated psychologist, nor am I going to just review the entire episode. But I wanted to talk about what they um, were trying to uh, pass on in terms of information is that the only time that the... Uh, participants refused to shock the other person in the uh, supposed room is when they were ordered to. So if they had gotten to the point where the the guy was like, I think the person's hurt in there. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure about shocking him. When they, the guy in the white coat or whoever he was, the researcher was like, No, shock him. You have to shock him. It's absolutely essential that you continue. If you don't, you have, or sorry, you have no other choice. That was also a trigger. When they said you have no other choice and they said teacher for some reason, mm-hmm. then they got, the, everybody had the same reaction. Oh, I have a choice and I'm not going to do it. And then they're like, all right, the experiment's over. So 100% of the time that happened. There wasn't one person who was like, oh, yeah, all right, I'll do it now after you told me to do it. 
So what does that say about human behavior? Well, we we um well, this is a cultural thing as well. I mm. think um I would just speak as uh, as an American citizen, we all have all have this quote uh, the freedom of choice, right? The, you know, and and like this ethical thing of, hey, I'm not going to do something just because I'm, you know, if I know I'm going to do the right thing irregardless of the quote authoritarian thing. Then there's a whole little anti um authority thing like, well, you know, that's my take on it. I mean, um, yeah, but a cult, you know, but interesting white coat. You can't see the person you're shocking, but mm-hmm. you, hear, you hear them screaming. Though. Yeah, and they were <laughs> they showed they had some clips on the show. It was like, ah! And then there was like dead silence. Some people smiled, by the way. Some people were smiling. I think I remember seeing this in psych class. And yeah, they knew. They were like, oh. And you know, they kept pressing the button, man. (laughs) Uh, But it's interesting uh, when being told they have to do something or they had no choice. Right. um, It's all like framing, right? I mean, and and how I think Lee Man wants to uh, relate this to compliance with patients and asking them to do things. It's it's an art, you know. There's not a science behind. There is some science behind it, uh, in terms of how much you give a patient, how you frame it to a patient, how do you make it relatable to a patient, you know. How important is this clamshell? <laughs> you know, do I do I need to do four sets of fifteen? Holy shit! Fifteen clamshells. Can I read a book? Can I watch a show? Can I do? <laughs> Can this? I look at Instagram. Could I? Could I? <clears throat> is it still going to work? <clears throat> so relating it to the patient, I. Sure, that's where. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. So I was going to say, how does this relate to physical therapy? Well, I, I thought of it is because I hear this all the time, and I heard it a lot when I was a student. Oh, that patient's non-compliant. Blah blah blah, blah compliance. Well, they're, they're not compliant, and I hear it now. Unfortunately, I hear it now in that that stupid place. And I, I guess <laughs> I'm not going to go into the, too much of a rant. It's from the same people that I've already talked about before, where they order people. They order the they they think they are powerful in this person's human being's life to order them around. Yeah, and it doesn't they, work out that way. Yeah, they think they're like. Some of them think they're surgeons. Some of them think they're like, if you, you know, you have to listen to what I say kind of thing. Like, your your knee will break in half if you run across the street. And it's so ridiculous. And I just, I'm so sick of people approaching patients that way. And when I approach a patient, the reason why I'm bringing this up too is because I have it in the past get criticized for the, the fact that I'm not sitting there like ordering them to do this. I make it very... Um, a parent that this is their choice. And I was like, these are my recommendations. I had a patient today, brand new patient, and it was in a lot of pain. At the end, when I'm instructing them on what seems to be going on, again, I'm not saying like this is what's happening for sure. Like this is what seems to be going on based on this, this, and this. These are my recommendations over the next week, and then we can follow up. And they do seem surprised when you approach it that way. But if you follow up appropriately and you communicate with them appropriately, they will listen to you and they will understand what you're trying to do. You're, you shouldn't just be like, no, you can't do this. You can't do this. Don't bend forward. Be scared shitless and well, don't sleep like this. Uh, this goes into your article, in, into the experiment. But I don't think fear is a good way to have uh, – fear isn't a great way to ha- get people compliant. I think right. it works in reverse actually. Um Fear, or I want to say, call it. I want to call it being thorough or prudent. Uh, obviously, discussing red flags and and letting people know, hey, this is the risk involved if you continue this activity or behavior, or that this is the risk involved. Uh, but again, it comes down to choice, you know, yes. and, and, and giving people the choice. And 
I think is a lot more, I've seen better results in like, hey, you know, how do, how does seven to 10 minutes in the morning sound? Great. Okay. This is what we're going to do. You know, so really involving your patients in, in the plan, right? I mean, it's way more powerful. You, I think you remove their self-efficacy and you build helplessness when you order people around. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. You talk about physical therapy, you talk about anything else. You are facilitating that helplessness and the catastrophizing by ordering them. Because now you're taking away their ability to make that choice. You're taking away their ability to um, build this powerful knowledge of themselves, which they should be doing already in that session with you. It, it should be this group situation where you guys are doing it together and it's not again that we've talked about it before this is not the phys- it's not about the physical therapist it's not about the doctor it's not about the health professional proving that they know more than this other person it's about them just giving them information and trying to assist them do what they need to do best for themselves yeah we're, we're literally guides i mean if you think of that you know guides amongst <laughs> this wealth of information that's out there these days Different, different from 15 years ago, 20 years. This wealth of information wasn't a, a hand, a, you know, a Google search away. And, so and you we're helping them navigate all that. And most importantly, navigate their, their own experience and say, hey, you know, it's, it's okay. This is pretty common. What do you mean it's pretty common? Damn, most people feel hip pain. Blah, blah, blah. So it, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's wild to think that people are ordering. I mean, we're not in the military. There's no hierarchy of this should not be a high. I don't think that that's the kind of relationship uh, one should have with a patient right. to be the, quote, authority. Now, a lot of patients ask, tell me what to do. Right. So that's when you adjust. So you adjust. Right, right, right. You know, you, then so we all we, we, we wear so many different hats because we have to deal with many different personalities. So, like, let's say if you get that feedback, then I, don't, I know you do this and we, we all try to do this. We try to like, all right, so I'm going to give you a list. These are, these are the things that, you know, are, I'll be optimal for you to do right now. Right. If you if you need something not to do, I'll give you what not to do, and then I'll give you the reasons why. But I'm not going to right off the bat say, like, you should not do this because your knee will tear apart and explode and cause a nuclear explosion, and New York City will be up in arms. Yeah, this, <laughs> this, and this, this is actually much more difficult within an active population where the compliance actually has something to do with them for them to stop they need to kind of slow their movement down they got to slow their activity down and that that's a hard sell for an active person someone that you know an amateur athlete someone that really values uh exercise you know and and you're telling them hey i think it's it's time for a little break break you know i'm not a big fan as we discussed on po- uh previous podcasts that mm-hmm. um you know shutting everything down is definitely um i don't think helpful but it's an art in telling people, hey, you know, you could do X, Y, and Z. Or scalable. 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 Jay and and again, you, you really have to, um, unfortunately, if you're not active yourself, you know, you wouldn't know how that feels. Right. So then you tell people, no, you should, should not Stop be. everything. You shouldn't be walking more than one mile. <laughs> Make sure, but when you pick up a piece of paper, keep your chest up. You oh, know, my God. The- there was a hilarious video circulating on social media. Uh, it got so much traction. I, I almost, I'm almost i going to pull it up because I think you would laugh. Um, and it basically was making fun of the um, the fact that everyone tells, like, to do a basic thing, to, to throw out the trash. You have to have, like, your back straight and all that shit. It was hilarious. Let me see if I could pull it up. Uh, 
You haven't heard about this, right? No, no. Okay. I was trying to explain to someone. I was actually doing an evaluation yesterday, and I asked somebody to, I just want you to bend forward. You know, we're just going to flex over. It's like, should I hinge or should I roll? Should I roll? Oh, you were examining. Yeah, I was examining. I was like, no, just just roll. And it was like, I had to explain her. I was like, you know, this is part of our part, partially the profession's. fault of of this quote right and wrong situation and she was very um absolute in her terms yeah and again it comes from ingrained you know what she was kind of ingrained with the the right way and the wrong way and you know that's that's really it doesn't help anything i hear this all the time i'll see patients from other clinicians and they're like, well, I was told that I was walking wrong and I was standing wrong. How the fuck My can hip- you walk wrong? You're not walking wrong. You're just you're, you're probably walking in a certain way that that person thought that was contributing to your right, symptoms, right. but they're most likely wrong. And my hip is tilted. You know, my my right uh, hip is rotated. My yeah. left hip is rotated. Um, I have um, like I have lack of movement in my ankle and and all fucked up you yeah. know i'm a mess i'm a uh, mess i hate hearing that that, hearing that, that. word is, is and, and i i soak it in and i don't respond to it mm. and uh and that's something i i try to that's 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 third or fourth session i think <laughs> where you go hey you know it's a powerful word that's a powerful feeling uh, you're having there and mm. that's something you got to kind of shift you're, you're strong and then the most important thing one can do is highlight if the person's coming in for i don't know ankle knee pain you got to let them know hey Everything else is good. Yeah, you know your other ankle works, your other arms work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that I think is a great strategy in in kind of letting people know that you know it it, it not to catastrophize. Yeah, they're not feeding us. So this video was hilarious. So this got so much traction. He apparently like was so surprised by that. So it's like one of these Xbox and check boxes. So don't sit like that when you get on the couch. You have to. Oh my god, that's hilarious! It, it gets better. So when he does the open the refrigerator door, this my favorite. Is, this is this is this is it. And what, this is the trash. You bend over. No, you gotta pull it up like this. You know. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is the bed. I whenever he gets to the bed, looks like a normal dude just relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> He's hilarious, man. And he made another one after this, which is great. <laughs> that's hilarious oh man this is the account is beard the best you can be which is that's a very creative account oh my god this is my favorite don't just roll out of bed fucking <laughs> 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 get up <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's my favorite that is great oh man it was it was great but it's so true. Like they have all That's these. Great. I think the worst thing you could do is further make. Um, I, I wrote this in the notes. Was that I, I feel like health, fitness, medicine is one of the only, not the only things. One of the main things, that maybe mainly in the West Westerners, <clears throat> that wants to be mystical. Everybody wants it to be mystical. It's not mystical. It's just like anything else. Like I, I'm trying to think of an example to give. But like, all right, you know, right now. You, you see, you, you, you're renting, buying a house. Like, did anyone teach you how to do that? Did anyone teach you, like, no, but you, you learned how to do it, right? You got to so, get on your own. You got to do the diligence. You got to do the homework. You know how to brush your teeth. You know how mm-hmm. self-hygiene, all that stuff. Like, think about all those things that happen is that, like, you, once you were shown these things and you were educated about how to do it and there was very little 
hand-holding to this point. But now, like with like health, fitness, and medicine, there's just more information. That's all. There's just more information out there. I mean, um, you know, an overwhelming amount of information, I would say, for most that yeah. – don't don't know the fundamentals, right? I mean, and I think people take advantage of that, and they make it further mystical by saying you're walking wrong. Well, why are you telling this person that they're walking wrong if you just educate them on what they can do and what's going to help them in terms of their uh, situation and exercise and movement? Not the fact that you're going to make them more anxious while they walk. Now, now, now they're going to be thinking like, oh, you're breathing wrong. Now you're going to make them more anxious about breathing. So they're kind of reversing it, like. Why don't you educate them on like, all right, well, breathing will help kind of reduce the pain stimuli by doing this. That's going to reduce anxiety because then you've given them something. You've given them a tool, a power that they can now say like, oh, God, my back is a little achy. I sat for like four hours in a row. Why don't I stand up, do a couple squats? Why don't I lie down on my back and do some diaphragmatic breathing? Am I, or I, this is a key question I, I tell people if you're experiencing X pain. You know, just check in with yourself and see if you're breathing. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're breathing, but really, <laughs> check check to see, you know, are you holding your breath? Yeah. Place your hand on your abdominal region. Yeah. Do you feel it moving? You know, so these, I actually worked on someone yesterday with this, and, and uh, it was a little bit of a, it was an evaluation, so it was a little hurried on the treatment end of things, mm-hmm. and uh mentioned, you know, some, some thoracic pain with deep breath and with lifting, and I was like, well, we worked low into the hips, a little... And I was like, you know, I think one of the most powerful tools you can use is some thoracic mobility and and really breathing pre-post-workout. Yep. And she took it upon herself, and I was pressed on time. I said, uh, we'll get we'll get into it next session. She Googled diaphragmatic breathing. She did that. She, nice. she emailed me this morning. Three-month pain, gone, just from breathing. And I, told, and I gave her some simple rotations. She was like, oh, I see you doing this with a lot of people. And I said... You know, like a thoracic rotation. Mm-hmm. I think of it as um, a thoracic mobility exercise that's pretty common, really simple stuff. But I think of it as a bit of a reset that most individuals don't even consider, uh, right. particularly those who may be strength training in one or two or three planes, one or two planes. You know, you get them to rotate and it like it, it changes things. The body's like, whoa, what is this? And, and it I really, love this. <laughs> and then you start to breathe differently because you yeah. don't have that, that issue there so yeah. it, it it may be you know for those of you who know me uh who watch <laughs> me treat there might be some really repetitive things but the repetitive uh but very different amongst each individual and, and what, what it's pretty common patterns that we see right you see someone that's walking and maybe they don't have an optimal dissociation between the upper body and lower body you don't see them rotating as much and then they're complaining of hip pain and really what it is is their hip may be maybe overreaching now that's a biomechanical thing that some of you may not may or may not agree with but uh making some of these simple little adjustments giving the person the ability to make these simple adjustments and awareness changes it and as lee said it's, it's not um it's out there, you know? But, yeah, and, and I, like you used the walking as some general information about this person. General information. You nothing use... specific. And not telling, and that, uh, people do come in and say, I, I think I need to learn how to walk. I'm like, what the? Mm-hmm. No, no you, you don't. 
it's, 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 it's more it's not a causative thing like that's where the confusion is. and that has to be clear and so that's usually like a miscommunication of the information that's being passed on so that's why 90 percent of what you're going to do with the patient is how you talk to them what you guys talk about and then follow up follow up with like can be a text an email next session whatever it is Speak about it again. Make sure that everyone's clear on everything. Because if they start to use those words, I was walking wrong, you know, I was doing this wrong, and they're not like, all right, well, sitting it, wrong. Yeah, it's like, all right, we're not talking about right versus wrong. There is no right versus wrong. This is more about how you do things a little bit more optimally, and or you're trying to adjust nervous system stimulation. So that's all you're doing, and and you're trying to help that person build those tools that they could. You know, you're basically like taking your toolbox and like kind of picking off the shelf like, well, this would fit this person. This would fit this person. This wouldn't fit this person. So like if your toolbox is like this big and this one system, like mm. and you are just using that one friggin thing, then yeah. you're going to you're going to be blind. You got to have blinders on. You're just going to be limited. Now we've seen, you know, we've definitely have met uh, clinicians with that kind of um, single system approach. Um and they, they they try to jam everything in that box, and and you know it works for some, but I think the more system one, you know, we've definitely discussed this on multiple podcasts, but and we're gonna do it again, yeah, right exactly. Now. No, multiple <laughs> systems, <laughs> multiple systems are the way to go. I'm doing Learn my breathing from... exercises, everybody. I, <sighs> I promise, I'm calming down. Lee's going from a, a full rant to a semi rant. Well, so, it's hard for me now because I'm now like, oh, what what what's the date today? August. How many days have you? No jujitsu for like I don't know. I, I thought, listen, man, I, I this morning I had a a couple of uh, household challenges, mm-hmm. and I spoke to a loved one. It's like you know you really need a class today, and, <laughs> I, and I was like, and the crazy thing is, is right after class, um, I was like, wow, <clears throat> that doesn't even bother me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like you thought of what was you know initially. Bo- bothering you but talking of all this breathing i hate to bring it back to myself but the breathing i mean i prior to class today i went into some rocking i did some mobility work and i worked on just breathing during the Mm warm-up and after class i was all revved up lost five pounds of sweat Hmm. and instead of just kind of running and changing i did more rocking I did more I lied on my back I did some diaphragmatic a little cool down real cool cool down mm-hmm. and I have to say you know I walked out of there with no exhausted but no mm-hmm. bumps and bruises no like you know I looked in the window and I didn't look like I was the crep you know yeah. like the, the crib keeper I'm sure you felt different too you felt just felt like different. felt less different. wound up less wound up you know yesterday I kind of ran out of class and um I had some SI dysfunction. My medial, <laughs> Your hip was out? Yeah, my hip was out. I was misaligned. Uh, my right knee was a little, too, you know. Dislocated? D- strained. <laughs> probably a grade one, two MCL strain from last week's foot sweeps. Uh, um, the body heals, guys. It does. It really heals. If you, you give it the right nutrients, if you give it the right time, and most importantly, you're in the right state. Uh, and that... that, that that's a real big generalization, but that that's pretty complex, right? That state we're yeah. talking about. But the information's out there, as uh, we have on our 
a little hook. The it's truth a, is this, out there. The truth is out this there. This is actually a show about UFOs. Right, right. <laughs> and, and they're giving us all the information we need, man. Just got to find it. But, um, you know, a lot of it is innate. It's just it was so clouded. We, you know, unfortunately, all, yeah, all the information, all of our own, you know, personal things. But I think, I mean, this sounds a little mystical, but I think a lot of the answers are within. You know, I mean, a hundred percent agree, and uh, we've talked about it before in the podcast. Where that I think that they actually have a name for it now. Well, I, well the way I'm thinking about it, um, the ability to kind of like feel things internally that includes pain and sensation. It's interoception, I think. Interoception, um, wow. and that they've it's like the new body awareness. I got to show you this research; it's really That's cool, really cool. And um, but I think that 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 it's a skill that uh, gets layered and built upon. Based on your experience with life, so based on like the amount of emotions you've gone through, um, the athletic uh, obviously movements you've done, the times you've pushed yourself, the times you haven't, all those things they start to layer in. So like l- let's say uh, I now know what it feels like to have a really bad nerve injury, and that was new to me, and now I could recognize it as it comes, and uh, I n- already knew what a broken bone felt like, a torn ligament, uh, all that stuff. So like that is our, that that kind of gets indented into the the nervous system and i think everybody <laughs> not everybody needs to get that much hurt but i'm saying like i think everybody should move a lot and to kind of experience different things and movement changes our emotions we know that there's tons of research on it uh, that won't be in the show notes no 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 <laughs> so that's right that's our research if uh you don't believe you just got to take a word on it <laughs> but awesome. um, but um it, it's uh it's it's pretty cool that 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 exists and i think unfortunately in modern civilization we have so much input and so many things that distract our attention that is really hard to get in touch with that that inception well, inception interoception interception okay i think i might be everyone be hilarious like, at least make like it totally up right. right. <laughs> that's it man it's he, called inception the movie <laughs> with exactly uh, leonardo DiCaprio. that's exactly what i was thinking but <laughs> it's it, you know I, I, I'm fascinated by like ancient civilizations and and how, if you look at let's say Eastern medicine, right? I mean, it, how did they know ginger to all these little how? You that know, does it, it was, fascinate me. It, it's and really it's, how, how did they get to that point? I I talked to my girlfriend about that, who's an acupuncturist, and uh, one of the first times we hung out together before we started dating, we went to a museum downtown. Oh, God, I can't remember the name of it. It's a smaller museum, but they're known for, like, small exhibits, very artistic stuff. But they were they did an exhibit on um, Tibetan medicine, uh, oh, ancient Tibetan medicine. Which was, um, was on 17th Street. Ruben. Ruben. Some, That's Ruben. an amazing place. Yeah. Amazing place. And I was blown away. As a physical therapist going down there, again, this is pre-knowing acupuncture, pre-having acupuncture, pre-dating an acupuncturist. Um they had, <laughs> <laughs> which I've talked about in the acupuncture uh, episode, so check it out. Um, <laughs> they they had uh, old um, anatomy maps that they pulled out from whatever uh, uh, dig sites or whatever it is, and they these things are supposed to be thousands of years old. They looked exactly like Netter anatomy maps. The way they knew, I know you can cut people open and, and see that shit, but we're talking about like... Nervous system interactions, like they had the va- they tra- traced the, the vagus nerve. nerve, and I was like, how the fuck do they know about the vagus nerve? I mean, they got to go deep in the brain and then trace all the way down into the soft. Like, that's that's a very deep thing. Cranial nerves, um, 
and they it's all based on the similar to like traditional chinese medicine in terms of how their theories are with meridians and stuff like that so the there has to be when i when i i do co-treatments with my girlfriend sometimes and i'll find spots on somebody um let's say she's already seen them and she's already done her examination i'll see them on a separate day and I've, this has happened at least two or three times already. And I'd be like, all right, well, we, we need to work here and here. And I'll point to the spots and the possible injuries, like just getting to like, you know, let's say posterior tibial tendonitis. And I'll be mm. uh, posting, pointing to the um, the tendon and uh, of the posterior tibia and tibialis. And she'll be like, well, that's point da-da-da. And we've already worked on that. And that's like the central point that we've been doing. I was like, that's weird. They all carry over. Okay, fine. That, that you, they're all like tender points. But... Um, it, it was really, really interesting. Like, I don't know how they come even, up with that even stuff. Even some of our mentors, and even, I mean, how I work manually, it, it's uh, interesting that, I mean, this is kind of intuitive when you put your hands on someone, but you, you're, it's almost like you're drawn to certain areas. And this comes from pattern recognition. This isn't any magic that's occurring. This is just, oh, this looks a little, this feels a little off, but, but it, it's in a lot. How, how does that happen? You know yeah. what I mean? I, I mean, know. obviously, it's experience, but... I think it's also, you know, we operate... Uh, there was that study um, when I did the presentation after the Barrett Dorco course with Mr. Dr. Rofe. Yes, and, Dr. Uh, Rofe. Got to have him on the show. That yeah. would be hilarious. I have, we'll have him on the show. We'll have to like do it at a different time of day so we can drink or something. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it over food. dinner. We'll, yeah, yeah, man. We'll, we'll take a little... We'll do take you guys a have sushi? <laughs> oh, man. He That'd knows awesome. how to eat, brother. He eat this guy. Oh, man. He brings us to the best places. Oh, always good food. Yeah, fun times. Um... But he, the Dorco, the Dorco course. So it, how we opened it up is that we had to like both of us were trying to figure out because at that time pain science was very new to the clinic. This is yes. like pre Patrick. Yes. Um, from what I remember, there was people there who were like really strong in pathoanatomical stuff. Totally cool. And so we wanted to at least invite everybody in. We showed a video real quick, which was cool. And then uh, we talked about this uh, research that was done. So there's this documentary, and I can't remember the friggin' name of it, but I saw a clip of it, and I, th- I found it fascinating. I want to say it's like it was like called the Super Brain or something Brain. They basically went all around the world, and they interviewed all these uh, neuroscientists. And these neuroscientists did not know each other at all. And they asked them the same exact question. They sat down with them. They had a big poster board, and they had a, a marker. And I think they had some other stuff just in case they wanted to use it. They said, all right, with this marker, what I want you to do is mark on that poster board the influence of the conscious mind versus the subconscious mind on everyday tasks or you know, the wake uh, thing, awesome. and they each said the same thing. They looked so confused, and they they were like, "I can't make a small enough dot on that big poster board to show you that." So what they were trying to say was, the subconscious has way more influence on like our you know how we feel and how we talk and stuff like that versus our conscious mind because our conscious mind literally is just trying to like try. Trying, trying to put together information. But our, our subconscious mind is is gathering apparently billions of pieces of information almost per second. And we're talking about smells, sights, uh, things that we can't even perceive happening right now. Um, and even apparently like heat and energy levels, whatever that may mean to people. But like that happens on that basis. And so when we learn information, put it in our head and we, we learn about it and how to apply it, 
then when we have a patient, we base our experiences on what we're seeing, feeling, and trying to grab that information too. But I think that's where the whole uh, instinct comes in. So I think so key. that might have to do with a little bit of how they figured stuff out, and they had thousands of years of time to do that. And then right, and they had you know the 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 history, the um, practice of uh, orating. Uh, Passing on information orally, you know, speaking, they, writing. I mean, that that's just a tradition where now it's exponential. And it's, it it's really exponential where, you know, we now could communicate with people in Australia, where, across the world. Yeah, it's happening so, so fast. Um, it's, it's, things are happening fast. And obviously with that comes a lot of uh, snake oil. Yeah, fake news. Fake news. <laughs> what the, what's the other one? Um Alternative facts. Alternative. Oh my god! Yeah, the newest so, one so far is uh, "Truth Isn't Truth." Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! I don't know what's happening right now, but it's bad. It's yeah, like <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know, the sad thing is, is as bad as it is, all the other the great and I've always might have mentioned this on a previous previous podcast, but there's so many positive things occurring, and um, that's true. And it's not being reported. We don't, you know, unfortunately, we're not getting that. Um, yeah. At least mainstream. I mean, if you look for it, it's there. But um, but that intuition is something that really can't be neglected. And I think for all of you guys, you know, ladies and gentlemen listening, um, I think that it would be critical to kind of come in touch with that. And I, and I don't know how how one does that. Whether that's meditation, whether that just just keeping an open mind, I guess. Keep an open mind. Definitely learn as much as you can. Be curious. Be so curious. Yeah, curious. Just, you know, re- read things. You know, you don't have to. I, I, we talked about it before with social media. You're exposed to so much info and you filter out this. Sometimes you're not going to be able to read the entire article. You could just read the abstract. That's fine. You don't have to, like, you know, bank your entire life on it and say, like, this is the information that I, you know, I must pass on to my patients. No, you can just, oh, that's interesting. If you don't, you're not able to access this, all right, move on. And then maybe the things that you can access, you could fully read. But also, learn new systems. Learn new systems, whatever yeah. it is. And, and, I'll, and we're not talking about just physical therapy. No. I think learning skill acquisition um, on any level, at any age, opens your previous skills that you may have in other areas. I mean, right. we'll go back to jujitsu, um, but but the ability to let's say being comfortable in certain positions. We talked about that earlier in the show, you know, and how that translates into your professional life or your personal life. Right. Um, all the intuition that we're talking about. It's interesting that the instructors talk about um, making things reflexive, and that comes through training. That right. comes through practice. I mean. That comes through training and practice and over and over and over again. And not only just practice, but maybe watching videos and maybe taking notes. All of those things are going to help. So, I mean, as a new clinician, as a new trainer out there, keep a curious mind. I I heard something, and we don't have that much time, but um, uh, a fellow colleague that we both know went on an interview, a physical therapy interview, and he was – they were told – that you know bouncing around with between all these systems you really be, you become a master of none and not really good at any of those things whatever that means hmm. but i found it interesting they were they're trying to tell this person that they're 
going from like strength conditioning stuff to pain science stuff to some manual stuff was not good for their career. That was the, that was the implication. Hmm. And I, I was a little taken back by that. It made me think a lot. And I was like, all right, well, I've heard this before. I've heard like, you know, once you, once you graduate, you have to decide your track. You got to go down that, be, you know, like, you know, manual McKenzie, whatever it is. But this is what I think about it. I have to go back because I'm a, uh, you know, martial arts background. If, uh, if I were to take a match... And I would say, like, all right, there's an MMA fighter who knows mm. jiu-jitsu, they know striking, they know judo, they know various things, boxing. Sambo. And the, yeah, sambo. <laughs> they know some nasty stuff. And then uh, kung fu fighter. Mm. Expert in kung fu, expert in MMA. Who's going to get that? Oh, God, come on. They, we already know this. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this, UFC. I mean, this is like UFC, this is one-on-one. The, the likelihood of the kung fu person getting or winning that match, however you want to judge that match, death match or whatever, uh, is going to be very low versus an MMA. So what I'm trying to say is like you have to experience many different things, I think, in our clinical field because if you just go in one track right when you get out of school, you're not going to be challenged. You're not going to be challenged in a sense that that one-way track, you're just going to meet people in that one-way track. Those one-way track people, whatever it is, those instructors, are not going to say like, well, have you ever heard of this system? And they go against this. That's important to do because then that's where you have to make decisions. You have to be like, well, that jives more with me. That doesn't jive more with how uh, my patients are responding to this. So I, I would recommend the opposite. Learn about all these other systems. And if you want to find a track, if you find a lot of passion in one thing, like this individual we're talking about, he's got passion for pain science and he wants to teach it. So he yeah, should sure. continue on that track. And then he can learn about these other things as he goes along and use that to be able to explain things. Yeah, it so, sounds like that advice might be biased because this particular person may really have believed in a track, you that, know, and, and that one, would, yeah, one track, right? They were probably certified in blank but blank, mm -hmm. which means nothing. Um, so it's it, um, sad that they're trying to uh, hold other people down. <laughs> well, it's true. And I and I think that person also, they're, they're um, heavily, quote, expert in that. And then they're... Their business is dependent on it. Right. Their livelihood is dependent on it. And that's where it can become a little dangerous. So you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to be – I'm challenged all the time when, in terms of my thought process. Not many – you know, again, we, we said this before. We're not rogue therapists in terms of how we feel about pain science, things like that. We just try to implement it as much as possible. But we are surrounded by people in the orthopedic outpatient field who want to just strictly do the pathoanatomical thing and maybe uh, pass on some fear to the patient – so that is challenging. We have to challenge. We were challenged with that all the time when we talk to patients who have seen those other therapists, and we have to kind of disseminate that information and then present it in a very friendly way to say, like, all right, this is what we're going to be able to do. This is what you can do. Um, I mean, that's that long and short of it, but it's yeah, it's not only other. Th I mean, it's coming from a lot of that pathoanatomical model is not. It's coming from many sources. multiple sources. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's true. Um, Cool. So just to wrap up, we just we talked about some uh, experiences over the weekend, Kasai, grappling industries, juggernaut training systems, and then we just tapped on to uh, some compliance issues with our field. Definitely. And hopefully the show notes will break that up so that we um, – so if those of you <laughs> are really not interested in our BJJ inspiration, which I highly recommend to anybody, but yep. uh, we do get into a nice clinical chat. That's right. And we want to thank one more time Jay Hash Doring. Last week we had an yes. incredible podcast with him. We're getting a great response and really enjoyed to help him have, have him on again. 
Uh, and we're looking forward to more guests. We have a lot planned in the future, and so we're good to go. Yep, signing off. Signing off. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 